sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast Here on Environmental As Anything, we are always pleased to be able to bring good news stories about the environment. So it is very exciting today to be able to introduce Dr. Wally Franklin. Dr. Franklin's research focus is on the population dynamics and migratory interchange of the humpback whales in Harvey Bay, Queensland, Australia. He's also a director of the Oceania Project. Wally has been involved in humpback whale research for 20 years and has undertaken the management and marine operations of the Oceania project since its inception in 1988 with Trish Franklin. He is co-principal investigator on the Oceania project's long-term study of humpback whales in Harvey Bay and is a fellow at uh, the Marine Ecology Research Centre uh, at Southern Cross University where he got his PhD. Anyway... Here's Wally and his friend Migaloo. Uh, Wally Franklin, thank you for joining Environmental as Anything today. Yeah, good morning, Sean. Uh, a beautiful midwinter's day, and I understand that it's a, a bumper season for whales going on this year. Well, the migration's in full flight at the moment. We're just uh, at the peak of the northward migration is generally um, the end of June, early July. So the whales are well and truly on their way north to their breeding area up in the sh- uh, shallow, warm waters of the Great Barrier Reef Lagoon. They must be looking forward to getting to warmer climes uh, like us all, I suppose. They would be. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I've my impression, not that I'm the expert, but I, my impression is that there's a bit of a bumper season for, for whales this year. Is that right? Well, look, the, um, if the population has continued to grow at the rates that have been measured in recent years, the, the estimate is that the population could be approaching 40,000 individual whales. Wow. Um, to put that in context, the, the last formal estimate of the population was from a shore count undertaken off Stradbroke Island, and that was back in... 2015 when based on those observations they estimated the population at 25,000 but over the over the last couple of decades it's been it's been shown that the relative growth of the group is around about 10% which is biologically quite high uh, now if that rate of growth has continued since 2015 that extrapolates to uh, to our estimate of 40,000 um, but th- th- this means that this group of whales is approaching a- an interesting point in that uh, at some time 
they the population will level out and reach what we technically call carrying capacity, right. where the number of whales born and the number of whales that die in any given year are equal, and the population stabilizes. And that's uh, that's quite an interesting um, opportunity for us marine scientists to observe that process. Yeah, and you expect that to happen sometime soon for you to be able to observe that situation. Well, it's very difficult to be sure. What it, it will slowly we'll get an insight into that from ongoing observations but we are moving into that period we, we estimate uh, we know from past work that's been done that the population prior to that last period last savage period of commercial whaling um, the population probably in the Pacific was around 60 odd thousand whales of which about 40,000 well, likely our Eastern Australian group. So they are getting back to where they used to be, which is a good, a good news environmental story. Well, it's great to have a good news environmental story, isn't it? There are far too few of those around, and this is unequivocally one of them, isn't it? It is, indeed. Yeah. And, and it's not just the recovery of the beautiful creatures that we all, uh, you know, are so fascinated with, but that the recovery of the humpback and other whale populations is playing a, a little-known role in balancing the ocean's ecosystem and the planet's oxygen levels. So what, what's that? How does that work? Well, that, that's a very interesting phenomenon. The, the thing is that, that whales um, uh, are air-breathing mammals like ourselves, and they're the principal food of our... Uh, of our Eastern Australian whales are krill in Antarctica and the whales feast on that krill uh, during the um, uh, during the summer months in Antarctica yeah. uh, and as, as part of that process they're, they're actually putting nutrients back into the ocean and those nutrients uh, are um, uh, stimulating the growth of phytoplankton the grasses of the sea now, the grasses of the sea, phytoplankton, actually produce somewhere between 50 and 80% of the, of the planet's oxygen. Ah. In other words, they produce more oxygen than all the forests on the land. So that's quite a phenomenon. So, so the life cycle of whales is actually contributing not only to the growth of those grasses, but also to carbon retention. So they do play an incredibly important role in not only the ocean ecosystem, but the uh, the planet's ecosystem. That is fascinating. In all the years that I've been paying attention to environmental news, that I have never heard it put so well. They're, they're fascinating creatures, the whales, and I, and I saw another thing that you, you were uh, another article that you, that you were quoted in and talking about how they sleep. 
how they, they, they sleep uh, by switching off half their brain. And this has been a bit of a mystery throughout our, our, our relationship with whales, hasn't it? Well, it is, but it, 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 it's directly related to the, to the evolution of whales. Whales, are, uh, you know, the belief is that the whales are evolved from a, a land mammal uh, that went back into the ocean about uh, between 50 and 60 million years ago. And interestingly, the, uh, the impetus for that return to the ocean was in fact uh, a very uh, warm uh, period on Earth uh, called the, uh, the, the Paleo-Eocene Thermal Maximum. It was a sustained period of extremely high temperatures which had a big impact on life on, on the Earth. Mm. And, and one of those immediate consequences was this creature heading back into the oceans. Right, find somewhere cooler. Yeah, to be cool. <laughs> and and the, 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 you know, the view is that all modern whales and dolphins evolved from that uh, particular creature. Now, what's interesting about the whales and dolphins is that uh, all of the uh, existing 80-odd species of whales and dolphins were evolved to their present modern form between 12 and 23 million years ago, and that includes, uh, that includes the humpback whale. So whales and dolphins are, in those terms, ancient creatures. Much more ancient than humans. Much more ancient than humans. And we also know from a lot of recent studies by... Uh, a couple of young scientists, particularly a guy called Luke Rendell and another guy called Hal Whitehead from Nova Scotia, they've done a lot of work on culture in whales and dolphins. So, culture. So, as in culture, their their communications that that they pass along to from 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 generation to generation. That's yeah, sort of thing. communications and knowledge that yeah. they pass along from generation to generation. So. It's not unreasonable then to say that whales and dolphins are a great and ancient culture. Yeah, wow. That's a fascinating perspective. I mean, people uh, speak about the intelligence of whales and there's always been a, you know, a slightly cosmic, uh, you know, a, approach to the, uh, the, the, the whale as being this mystical being of, of huge inter- intelligence. But, uh, but you're saying that it's not just intelligence, it's actually a, a culture that's passed through. It is, and that, that's clearly reflected in what we know about the migration uh, of, well, certainly of the Eastern Australian humpback whales and of humpback whales generally around the planet. Uh, it's quite an interesting phenomena, the whole migratory process. And it, and it also provides us, uh, you know, tentative insights uh, into aspects of that culture of the humpback whales. It's interesting, like just slightly tangentially to that, I was reading something about the uh, the culture of, uh, of of small birds. I think wrens or sparrows in in North America passing their songs along and and changing the songs as they go. Whales. I mean, a lot of that uh, research was predicated on the research which had already been done about whale songs being passed uh, around. So yeah, that's that's well established now that yeah. that, uh, that whales, particularly the humpback whales. Uh, do pass their uh, songs along. We actually had a direct experience of that. We were in Harvey Bay a few years back and a friend of ours had been over in Tyre 
um, because there are humpback whales that migrate uh, up past New Zealand into Tongan waters, and he'd recorded a Tongan song, and he played us that Tongan song on our research vessel. And as he was playing it, because we, we, we'd be, we listened to the song every year up in Harvey Bay, there was something familiar about that song, uh, and I said that to the, uh, to the young fellow that had brought that sample of song to us. Anyway, subsequently, uh, we sent samples of our songs to a group of researchers who were looking at the relative song patterns of Eastern Australia and Tonga. And it turned out that um, the Eastern Australian song does in part turn up in the Tongan song, but about a year later. So the song is passed along. And overall, there's a young woman who's been doing a lot of study of humpback song, and she's shown that the humpbacks pass their song uh, from a west to an easterly direction across the Pacific. That's <laughs> <laughs> quite phenomenal. That's amazing. Yeah. I've always been fascinated with the idea that we should be able to decipher, uh, you know, the songs of whales or bird songs or other animals' songs by using, perhaps using artificial intelligence, uh, you know, the, the, the algorithms that are being developed to, to decipher and decode uh, encrypted uh, communications. Uh, is, it a sim- is there a similar process going on? Is there any other crossover within that technological sphere into your oh. sphere? There are people, my understanding is there are, there are young scientists who've been using modern uh, computer technology and, and artificial intelligence to study uh, humpback uh, whale sounds and songs uh, to see if they uh, can establish whether there's a language element. And, and essentially they've all come to the conclusion uh, that uh, there is sufficient information in the humpback sounds and songs to constitute language. But, of course, we haven't yet found the Rosetta Stone no. of that language to enable us to, uh, to become involved in it. You, 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 you raise the question of how whales sleep, and that's quite an interesting yes. thing to talk about in relation to, to what we've just been talking about. Uh, and, and it's one of the key differences between we uh, earthbound human mammals and the uh, aquatic mammals uh, of which humpbacks are a part. Now, because, hump- because whales and dolphins went back and evolved in the water, they are aquatic mammals. And in order to survive in a water environment, they, they had to evolve a way of actually staying conscious all the time, unlike we earthbound mammals who uh, climb into our caves at night and retreat into a state of non-consciousness, a dreamlike state. So they have to remain conscious at all times. So all whales and dolphins are conscious breathers. Now, how, how they achieve that is that um, the neocortex of the whales and dolphins is hardwired both uh, to the left and right side of the cortex. Uh, and so what they can do that we can't do 
because if we go to sleep, our, our neocortex cortex connection shuts down and we, we literally lose consciousness while we're asleep. But with whales and dolphins, what they do is they are able to shut down one side of their brain and leave the other uh, side in the command seat and, um, and keep functioning in their aquatic environment. Uh, so they are conscious breathers uh, for that reason, and that's part of the survival mechanism. Now, in addition to that, physiologically, whales and dolphins, because they live in the environment, uh, if they were to, uh, you know, if wounds occur and blood were to flow, what happens when you put blood in the water is the track sharks. sharks. <laughs> so whales and dolphins have evolved a, a capability of actually. Uh, controlling the flow of blood in their body so that if they do have a wound, they can actually stop the flow of blood and, wow. and therefore limit the, the, you know, the risk of being attacked by a shark. <laughs> that is extraordinary. That is extraordinary and answers another question that I had for you. But look, Wally, an amazing uh, information you're passing on. Unfortunately, we've only got one minute left, so I'm just going to ask you before we wrap up, um, I understand that uh, Migaloo, everybody's heard of Migaloo, the white uh, humpback whale, uh, and uh, it came early this year um, and you've been tracking it. Where, where can people go if they want to see Migaloo or any of the other whales? What do they, they need to do to get out there and, 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 enjoy, and marvel at these uh, incredible beings? Well, fortunately for those of us that live in the Northern Rivers area, we happened to have here at Cape Byron one of the best land-based whale-watching sites in the world uh, you know Cape Byron being above the water uh, gives us a good view down onto the water as the whales migrate and the other aspect of that is that Cape Byron is the most easterly point uh, of Australia and the humpback whales that are returning from Antarctica generally meet the New South Wales coast well south of Byron and they literally have to follow the coast up and move out to the northeast as they come up towards Byron, and then they make a left turn at Byron to head up into the Great Barrier Reef. Yep. So, um, you know, Byron is an area where there's a very, uh, you know, whales aggregate closely uh, to the shore, so that makes it a perfect place for viewing them. With regard to Migaloo, You've, you, you, if you go and stand on the headland for an extended period of time, there is a possibility of seeing him. He, he's an extraordinary creature. We, we had the uh, incredible experience of, of, uh, of seeing him on three occasions during our research in Harvey Bay. The first two occasions were in the early 90s, in 92 and 93, when we believe he was a young male and his timing in Harvey Bay at that time was consistent with him being a young, a, a young whale. Well, he was first sighted, in fact, off Byron in 1991 by a um, friend of ours, Paul Hotter, who's president of the Australian Whale Conservation Society. And we, we've estimated that he was likely born in 89. So, you know, presently he's in his 30s. Right. Um, the last time we met him in Harvey Bay was in 98 when he was about nine years old and he was singing and we were able to record his song. Uh, and that song features on a whale song CD we produced. He's track three of five tracks, which just show the incredible way the song is different, evolves in every year. Yeah. Uh, now you can actually get to our 
uh, Whale Song CD and, and listen to those sounds online on our site, songlinesofthewhales.org. Uh, so if you want to go and have a listen to that, Migaloo is an, a, an amazing singer and um, his song's quite profound if you just relax into it and, and enter into the song. I'm going to play a little sample of it uh, in the background of this uh, interview so that people can enjoy that while we're talking, I think. I've got a bit of that from your SoundCloud. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Wally, that is just fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, for coming and speaking to Environmental as Anything. Um, it's a very exciting, positive news story for the environment. It's a pleasure, Sean. So we, we didn't touch all the things that we could talk about with the humpback whales, but we got to talk about quite a few. Oh, look, it's a very short time for us to spend together, but perhaps we can get together on another occasion and, and talk some more. I'd, I would love that. It would be a pleasure. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental as Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.